Thank you for listening to the teaching podcast of Muncie First Church. If you would like to know more about us, go to MuncieFirstChurch.com. Or if you would like to support a ministry, go to the giving page, MuncieFirstChurch.com slash give. Well, let's jump into the teaching from this last week. If you have your Bibles, take them and turn to 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. We've been doing a series of sermons called Trapped, and, and um, you know, trapped by these little sins. It's not the big ones oftentimes in our life that trap us. It's the little sins that beset us. It's the little sins that trap us. It's the things that we do, and it happens every day, and stuff goes on, and we get, we get trapped. We get sucked into these things. And um, we've been talking about various ones. And today I want to talk about another one of those little sins. It's, it's not a big thing. It's not something you're going, man, you know, if I do that, I'm going to get arrested. Because you're not. But it's something that's going to mess up your life. It's going to trap you. I promise you that. It's called lust. And a lot of you are going, wow, lust on Memorial Day. It's a good day. It came for the right sermon, right? Uh, we'll see. Yeah, I am. Okay. So... The days we live in in the United States are good days. Okay, a lot of times we sit and we do this, man, I sure wish I'd lived in the past. I wished it was back then. You know, things were so much better back then. Can I tell you that this is a great time to live? How many of you like knowing that you can get on the internet and find anything you want? Isn't it awesome? Anybody here want to lie and say you don't like that? Because you do like that. You like buying on Amazon. You like that. You like the fact that you don't have to go to Walmart. You can just go to walmart.com and click and you have it at your door. You like that. How many of you like the fact that you can get on an airplane and be in Florida in a couple hours instead of 24 in the car? Anybody here like that? Yeah, we're getting there now. We're starting to warm up a little bit here. Stay with me here. Stay with me. Uh, You know, we like the fact that our car has air conditioning and it doesn't smell like a horse. Because they used to smell like a horse, because that was a horse pulling it, you know. Uh, and we like that. We like the fact that when we go home today, that, that there is a place to cook food, and you don't have to go out and chop wood to get it done. And we like the fact that, that, that we can come to town anytime we want to. You know, there used to be a time in Muncie, and in the whole United States, where you went to town like once a month, because it took you all day to get there. You know, I mean, it wasn't just because you had a slow car, you know, because there weren't any cars. So the days we live in, at least in the United States, are really a time of greatness. And yet, in the midst of all that, we live in one of the times, uh, the, the greatest times of discontent ever. People are so discontented. And, and like I said, we have so much. We have so many conveniences, more opportunities than any other generation before us has ever had. And yet we live probably more discontented than at any time ever in the world. See, I believe we're trapped in our discontent and our obsessions are robbing our generation of just living in the moment. It's robbing our generation of joy. You know, we're sitting around worrying that we don't have what our neighbor has and it robs us of joy. We're worrying about trying to, I'm going to hang on until it gets better instead of just living in the moment that God has given to us. You know, I remember when we went to seminary, Dar and I would sit and we would often talk and we would say stuff like, well, when we get done with seminary and we get to our first church, then, anybody here ever done that in your life? You know, instead of living in the moment, you know, 
I look back on that now and I go, man, those were some pretty awesome days. First of all, I was young and not fat. Uh, that was a good start, you know, and, and uh, we didn't have any money, but man, we had fun. We could do some stuff. We could go have fun. Kansas City's a great city. And yet we were so discontent. And it was robbed, robbed us of the moment and robbed us of our joy. And I've come to know that there are, there, are two, there are two kinds of people in the world. There are content, happy people. And there are obsessed, trapped people. But there are no content, happy, obsessed, trapped people. Now, I don't know if you got that or not. If you're trying to tweet that out. You know, I'll go over it one more time. Now I'll just let you go with it. Just put on there whatever you want and say I said it, and it'll be fine. So, no, we, th- th- it's true. There are no people who are obsessed and, and, tra- and trapped who are happy. We've been told you can have it all. We just saw it on the commercial. And uh, that, that's just a, a way to just kind of introduce this. But uh, that's just the way TV is. That's the way that we've been told in our generation. You can have it all. You can have it all. New York's Madison Avenue advertising agencies have set and sprung the trap. And the ad agencies have been super successful at getting us to believe that. They've convinced us that we deserve it all and that we should have it all. And what they're doing is leveraging discontent. Whether you realize it or not, they're leveraging your discontent to get you to spend your money. They're leveraging your, your discontent to get you to get into debt and into mortgages and things of that nature they're leveraging our discontent to sell us stuff and they have succeeded well anybody agree with that they have definitely succeeded they've convinced us that life is meaningless unless we have lots and lots and lots of more stuff they have convinced us that we deserve far more than we're getting every one of us here today if we're not careful, have a sense of discontent in our soul. You say, well, maybe not right this minute, but I'm telling you something. Something will come up during the week. Something will jump up in your life in the next month that will bring a sense of discontent to your soul. It's just the way it is. It will convince us that we are to live for the day when that thing will become ours. And that breeds that discontent. The obsession with things that leads to discontentment is in all areas of our lives. The motto of the day is why settle when you can have more. And that's an obsession, having more. We all know that this obsession and this discontentment drives the marketplace. You know, the truth is, is if everybody here today were satisfied with your house and you said, man, my house is perfect. I could never want to live anywhere else. It's just absolutely the best house in the world. There would be no real estate agents because nobody would be selling your house. Well, there'd be a few because people do die. But other than that, you wouldn't be selling your house. You'd just say, man, I live in the perfect spot. Why would I ever move? How many of you notice how many car lots there are in Muncie? There are every brand and thing, you know, and that's nothing. We were down in Naples, Florida, and we drove down this one road. They have all of our brands, you know, the, the inexpensive brands like Cadillac and, and things like that. And then they had all the others like Maserati and BMW and, and, and you know, Mercedes-Benz and, and like Ferrari. You know, who buys cars like that? You know, obviously those people, not us here, because Muncie doesn't have those, but we have everything else. And man, you know what? We drive by those lots full of shiny cars. And those new Z71 pickup trucks, they, they, they call my name if I'm not careful. They say, Mark, you need me. Come and buy me. 
See, if I was satisfied, if everybody was satisfied with their car, there would be no new car dealers in this town. But see, all this, dis- all this discontentment, it, it leads us to a problem. The problem with living in this discontentment is, is that it leads us to becoming unsatisfied and unhappy in our lives. Our house, our car, our work, even down to this, our wife and our kids, they're just not up to par with some others out there. And our discontentment leads to obsession. And here's the problem. Obsession leads to lust. We talk about that today. Lust is a craving. It's a longing for something or someone that goes beyond desire. And it becomes an obsession. So let me ask you a question as we begin this morning. What are you obsessed with? What are you lusting after today? You know, you can lust and obsess for a lot more than just sex. That's one of the areas of lust, and it gets probably more than its fair share of attention. But you can lust for money. You can lust for power. You know, I've even met people who lust and long to be someone other than who they are and to have someone else's life. How crazy is that, by the way? See, lust is not a male problem or a female problem. It's both of them. We are both susceptible to this. Did you know that when scientists do an MRI on like drug addicts, if they offer them drugs in the middle of the MRI, in their brain as they are scanning it, there are certain electrical impulses that begin to happen from those who are addicted to drugs. It just just goes off. Did you know that when they're doing an MRI on anyone else, a, a person who would not be considered an addict, who is in that tube and they're talking to them and they begin to talk about the things of which they are obsessed with, those same electrical impulses begin to go off. Because we're addicted to stuff. We're, we're, we're driven by stuff. Today I want to look at this obsession for a, a while and talk about how we as Christians should live in this fantastic world we live in without being trapped by this obsession and by love for more. It's very natural for us to desire things. I don't think that's a problem for us to have some desires. I think young people, they desire to have a relationship and and, and to get married and to experience sexual intimacy, and I think that's a God-given thing, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that desire. It's a good thing experienced in a loving marriage, Christian marriage relationship. We have a natural desire to have children. I think that's good. And I think my kids need to have a couple more grandkids. I, I do. I just, I just think that's a good idea. And it's a really good thing. Uh, people having children when they're married and, and love each other and caring for each other. I think it's really important. It's a natural desire to want to have enough money and resources to care for our needs. You know, if you're hungry and you're sitting around saying, well, no one will feed me and you're 32 years old, that's not right. You should have a desire to get out and go to work. Ran into a guy this week, just sitting there. What do you want? Darcy was talking to him. What do you want? A job? Well, go get one. Get up and go do something about it. No, that's all right. I just sit here. Hope somebody gives me some money. You know, that's kind of the way a lot of people are these days. It's pretty normal, though, to go and get what is going on inside of us. We, We go out and we work for it. It's normal to want to own a house or a car, to have transportation, to have a place to live that's safe and warm and cool in the summer and 
and it's normal to have a bank account, to enjoy and experience things. The problem begins when these normal desires start becoming obsessions in our lives. What happens is find ourselves looking over the fence. You ever done this before? Looking over the fence at what everybody else has and saying, man, look at that. They have a pool in their backyard. Just saying. And we begin to notice, maybe this is just kind of weird to you, but, but you begin to notice the neighbor's little wife over there, the neighbor's house, the neighbor's pool, the neighbor's barn. Okay, I'm confessing here today. I envy Ron's barn. I, I, I told him, I confessed to him this week. I said, Ron, I, I don't really care about your house. It's whatever, but man, I, I do envy your barn. I have a little barn envy with Ron Stout's barn. I'm working on it. God's helping me. I'm dealing with it, but so far I haven't gotten through it yet. I'm praying about it, but at least he lets me stand in it once in a while and just kind of takes care of it for a while. Uh, the car co-workers drive, the vacations that our friends take, so many things, and, and if we're not careful, lust replaces our normal state of thankfulness and contentment and well-being with who we are and what we have, and we become obsessed with desire and discontentment. Did you know, men, and just think about this, this for the men for just a moment, did you know, men, that when you look at pictures of another woman or when you look at another woman, what you're doing is comparing your wife to that? Think about that. You're comparing her to your wife. You're comparing your wife. You're looking at a perfectly posed, photoshopped picture, because I promise you there are nobody, there's nobody in the world that looks like that in person. This perfectly posed, photoshopped picture, and you're comparing your wife to that. Your wife who's had your children. And you become discontent. Because, you know, like, she's not perfect like that. And your basic comparison and discontentment leads you to begin to lust for someone else. And that's unfair because there's no way this photoshopped picture of a person tells you who she really is. You don't know who she is. In reality, if you met her and lived with her for a while, she would probably act toward you just like your sweet wife because you're there. Throwing it out there, and you're the same nasty you with someone else that you would be with your wife now. So being discontent happens so easily. We have to watch it all the time. Yeah, one more time, one more little story. Last week or a couple weeks ago, I was looking on Facebook, and I ran into a guy who had posted the listing for his house he was going to move and he was a guy that i went to high school with and was in church with when we were kids and i thought hey that's cool i want to see what his house looks like so i began to scan through the pictures he had like 48 pictures online so i began to scan through his pictures you know five thousand square feet on four acres with a big barn i'm like he couldn't even spell his name in high school how'd that happen and, and I'm sitting there, and I, I feel this discontentment begin to arise as I looked at my 1,800 square feet house with no barn. And I begin to go, wow, it's not fair, Lord. I mean, I've given you everything. And I had to quickly shut that down because I could feel that beginning to breed discontentment in my soul. The lust for newer and nicer and better and the idea that I deserve it has fueled the debt crisis that we have in the United States right now. Right now, we don't have a debt crisis. We have a lust crisis. 
We have to have more, more, more. Someone I saw the other day said, well, it's, it's not our fault we have to both work. And let me tell you something. It is our fault because we think we have to have everything. We think we have to have everything. We don't. And it causes discontentment in our life. And I got to tell you, discontentment and discouragement is a surefire way to know that lust is beginning to set into your life. John the Apostle wrote to remind us of the command of Jesus in in John chapter, uh, 1 John chapter 2, verses 7 through 11, he wrote these. And, and if you have your Bibles, it should be up on the screen. Follow along with me. Dear friends, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard. Yet I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and you, because darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother lives in the light, and there's nothing in him to make him stumble. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. He does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded him. Now Jesus in John chapter 13, 34 said this, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Obviously John had been listening when Jesus gave these instructions and these commands he was actually paying attention that day and, and he remembers this and he's passing this on now to the members of the church in Ephesus and when, when when we see our neighbors and friends folks when we look at our neighbors and our friends when we look over the fence when we see each other what we should be seeing and what should happen is is that we should love them we should have love for our brothers and sisters, not a desire to use them, not a, a desire to have their things or to control them or to gain power over them so we can have pleasure from them. We should not envy them because of their lifestyle. In fact, Jesus said, this is what will set you apart from the world when you see someone else and what they have and all the other things, you'll love them. See, the only difference between the church and the world that I can tell is that we love. And so if we're not doing that, if we're living like the world in obsession and lusting over everybody's things, then what's the difference? Loving Christ and his people as Christ loved us should be our passion and desire. That's the thing that should be our passion and desire. It shouldn't be her stuff, his stuff, their things, that person. Loving Christ. See, passion that is for other things is misplaced. First John chapter 2, John continues, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, the budding of what he has and does, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires will pass away, but the man who does the will of God will live forever. The love for the things of the world, craving for things, the passion, the desires of our eyes, focused on world and worldly pleasures, placing value on a person because of what they have, does not come from God. That's why it's really important when you walk in the church and, and someone walks in the church, we don't go, wow, they got money. We sure want to make sure they're happy here. Or they don't have much, it doesn't look like, so, you know, I'm not even going to bother wasting my time. You know what, I'm going to tell you something. 
We need to look at people, and when we look at them, we need to see Christ in them. And we need to go to them, and we need to love them, no matter how much they have or don't have. I don't care if, if the richest man in the world walks in and sits down in our pew, he should get the same treatment as the very poorest. We need to love them. And when we don't do that, what we're doing is lusting after their things, lusting after what they can give, desiring them what they can give to us. I don't care how pretty they are. I don't care how ugly they are. I don't care how at or skinny or whatever. They're people. They're God's people. We place value on a person because of what they are, for who they are, not for what they have. Discontentment leads to temptation. Temptation leads to sin. Sin leads to death. The writer of the Hebrews wrote it this way in Hebrews 13, 5. Keep your lives free from the love of money. Be content with what you have because God said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Our contentment doesn't come from the fact that our house is perfect. Our contentment doesn't come from the fact that my wife always listens to me. She always does it. Sometimes she does, but not always. My contentment doesn't come because I have a nicer truck than someone else or because, you know, I have a motorcycle or a pool or whatever it might be or a barn or whatever. My contentment comes because God said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Our contentment comes from knowing him. Our contentment comes from our relationship with him. See, the reason why we're struggling and why we keep buying more and more stuff is because we've let that relationship with him slide out of our lives. And we're trying to fill our lives up with something. And that something isn't good enough unless its name is Jesus. See, God is enough. We can't get trapped by lust and covetousness. Don't get caught up in the desire to have more and more. 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 10, Paul wrote, Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Amen? People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. The reason we have a lust for money is because we're missing out on the passion of loving Jesus completely. We have put our passions in the wrong place. Now I'm not telling you that if you have money, you're not a Christian. That is not what I said. If anybody says that, tweet that, whatever else. I will tell them what you really are, mistaken, really badly mistaken. I believe that it's okay for people to be rich. I pray that God makes you filthy rich so you can give it to the church. I have no problem asking for that. But I'm going to tell you something. If your passion is money and not Jesus, then you're wrong. You're mixed up, and you are seeking after the wrong things, and your life is going to be a mess. Our first thing that we have to seek after is God. So how are you doing in this area? Are you living a life of contentment? Are you content with who God has made you to be? Are you content with what he's given you? That doesn't mean you don't have a passion to do well at work, and if you get promoted, that's great. But do you have a passion for God, and are you content with who you are and how he's made you? Or do you stand in the mirror and say, well, I wished I looked like so-and-so? Just saying. Or I wished I was like them they seem to have so i mean their wife is so nice and their kids they're good are you living for the moment because if you're not living for the moment if you're waiting on someday you're living wrong that's not how god has called you he didn't call you to live for someday he called you to live for right now see the main reason why we do what we do here i'm going to tell you something 
When we go to church, we walk into church, we sit down, we get done, we go out, and we never talk to anybody. You know why you're doing that? Because you're not living for the moment. Because you're waiting until everything's right, everything's perfect, till you find that perfect church, till, till everybody's like they should be. Can I tell you something? you got to quit that. Live for the moment. Talk to the people around you right now. Get to know them. Love them. God will send you more. Okay? He will. That's how it works. Are you obsessed with something? Or even with someone else and maybe what they have? Because if you're living in obsession right now, you're in trouble. It's going to lead you down a path that you don't want to go to. It's going to break your heart. It's going to hurt you. It's a trap of Satan. It's deadly. Contentment starts when we realize this, when we realize that God is enough. Do you really believe that God is enough today? Do you believe that God is enough today? Amen? He is enough. I believe that today. God and his calling and his blessing are enough in your life. Right now, whether you ever get the new truck, the new car, or go to Hawaii, if God, is enough, if God is in your life, you have enough. He's providing for all your needs. You have enough. Are you content to love people for who they are? Are you, are, are you, are you loving people around you for who they are? N not trying to find just the right ones and love just certain ones that, that look like I want to love them. They, they kind of fit in my group. Or are you just loving everybody around you because they're God's children and his people? Are you content to love people for who they are? Or do you desire to be with them for what they can do for you? See, because that's the problem. Are you content with what God has blessed you with? Or are you, are you all looking for what you can conquer and control and own next? See, what happens here is this. You know, a few years back, I'm talking about me here, so... You know, you can all rest easy. A few years back, I used to say, oh, man, if I ever got a Harley-Davidson motorcycle, man, I'd be that one. And God gave me one. I paid for it, but I couldn't have bought the one I got, except God opened the doors. Greg Statham was very kind to me and sold it to me at a really amazing price because he didn't want to get killed on it in Florida when all the old people ran over him. So he sold it to me cheap. I mean, that's, that's what he told me anyway. I'll buy it. I did buy it. I love it. It's fun. But you know what? Next thing is now. Now I got some other things. Oh, I've got to have a barn. You know, you're just never enough. Got to quit that. Godly contentment. We need to be content with what we got. God has blessed us. We need to be seeking Him for Him, not for what He can give to us. See, if you find yourself in this trap right now, there's only one thing you can do. You know, you can't get yourself out of it. I can tell you that right now. No matter how hard you try, there's going to come a day you're going to run across that temptation and there is going to be, uh, you're going to be obsessed with it. You're going to be driven by it. It's going to suck you back in unless you begin to seek him. By him, I mean Jesus. When you begin to seek Jesus, when you make Jesus the object of your passion, not your husband, not your wife, not your boyfriend or girlfriend, not your motorcycle, not the barn, not your job, not having a million dollars in the bank. But when you seek him and make Jesus your passion, not your family. I love my family. I got great family. But they're not enough. Seek Jesus. When I make Jesus my passion, 
when I seek him and begin to desire him, when I pray and pray and seek him with all my heart. And that's not just, yeah, I'll go to church once in a while. Oh, well, it didn't work. The reason it doesn't work by going to church is because that's not what it's about. Now, I'm glad you go to church. And all of you should go to church and should bring all your friends and this place should be packed because there's people everywhere that needs help and we can give them help. But you're not seeking the church, you're seeking Jesus. We're seeking Jesus and everything that he has for us. So we need to pray and pray and seek with all of our heart. Christ, his love, his death will break every chain and set you free. You believe that today? Christ and his love, his passion for you, his death on the cross will break every chain, including the lust and the desires that you have for everything around you right now. Right now, if you're stuck in something right now, if, if, if your brain is, is just glued on one thing and you can't seem to break that, you need to just begin to seek Jesus. See, we, we, we got this problem, this whole idea of seeking Jesus seems so foreign to us. Well, I'm a Christian, so that's good enough. No, see, he didn't want you, like not a fan talked about and like several of the songs, he doesn't want you to be like, oh yeah, I'm saved, I'm a Christian, I can go do what I want. He wants you to seek him. He wants you to seek him. He wants you to be with him. He wants you all the time. So get your gaze upon him and off the world. See, because most of us are looking out there at the world and we're seeing the car and we're going, man, I can have it all. You'll never have it all until you have Jesus because he is all you need. The world traps you. I promise you that. The world traps you. Right now, some of you are living in that trap. You know what I'm talking about. Your heart's heavy. You're going, man, I want something. I want this so bad. If I could just have that, oh, my life would be good but it won't satisfy you. Only Christ can do that. And Christ's love will set you free. We're going to sing together. And um, I don't know if anybody here has anything like that that they want to take care of. We're going to sing Break Every Chain. Imagine that. And, um, but as we sing that today, I want to just offer a place to pray for anyone, for any need. Just come and pray. I believe God is here. I believe he can meet us. I want you to stand with me right now. And let's just let him lead us. If he's calling you down here to pray, there's no shame in that, by the way. You know, there's no shame in that. I, I, you know, it's like a little kid. When a little kid runs to his mom because he needs a hug, we never go, wow, look at that silly kid. You know, maybe you just need a hug from your father today. Altars are open. Come, let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you, Lord, for the truth that you break every chain and set us free. Right now, Lord, our prayer is this. May your will be done in the lives of people here. May your will be done in Muncie First Church. May your will be done in my life as it is in heaven today. God, would you come right now? May your May your life, may your will be done in the lives of every person who is here today. Break every chain, Lord. May the chains be broken in our lives, Lord. Set us free from the things of the world. Set us free from the lust and the obsession that we have with stuff. Set us free from our desire to just do our own thing, Lord. Get our eyes and our gaze fixed on you. Drive us to you, Lord. Bring us to you. 
Lord, don't take the pressure off. Don't take the tension off, Lord, until we say yes to you. God, I know that right now you're speaking to hearts in this place. There are people right now who, who know that they are living for the wrong stuff. They, they're giving their life to pursuits that are other than you, and so they're living for the wrong things. And right now, Lord, in Jesus' name, I ask that you would just put the pressure on a little more. Just bring the pressure to bear a little bit more until people say yes to you, until we all agree, Lord, that you should be God and that we should seek you and you only. Have your way today, Lord. Move in this place. We give you permission to do whatever you choose to do here today, Lord. This is your church. We're your people. Break the chains, Lord. Break the chains that hold us down. Break the chains that's keeping our church from being what you want it to be, Lord. Set us free. Lord, don't let us obsess over being a, uh, something other than who we are. We're Muncie First Church. We're the church that you've called us to be. We're a church for this city, Lord, and we believe that. And so, Lord, just help us to live that out now. Let's not get our eyes on everyone else, but to look at you and say, where do you want us to go, Lord? Thank you, Jesus. For these that are praying here at the altar, Lord, we just pray right now in Jesus' name that whatever the need is, whatever the situation is, Lord, you do in them whatever you see fit. Lord, right now, help them to say yes to you 100%. Everything is yes, 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 and amen. You are God and you're in charge. We give you praise. Again, Lord, thank you for what you've given to us. Our nation, our, our lives that we have, Lord, we are grateful. And we admit that today. We are grateful. And we bless your name. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Lord bless you. This. Go in his peace and his love, joy. Spread the good news wherever you go.